Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. I want to welcome you, whether you're here or down in Bluffton or online. We are glad that you've joined us and we've been praying for you and we're trusting that uh, as we go through this series on the Holy Spirit, that you'd allow God to really uh, work in your heart, uh, take to heart the things that, that you learn about. Uh, one caution as we start, uh, don't let the things that you learn today or the thing you learn, things you learn throughout this series just become merely an exercise in gaining more knowledge. We're not just after knowledge. Uh, we will learn some new things, hopefully, uh, but let that knowledge transform your heart. Uh, throughout the week, meditate, uh, get into the Word, dig into the Word, use the meditation plan uh, that's uh, available online. And each day, meditate on the scriptures and let God transform your heart. Uh, that's what we're after uh, in this series. I had a friend in college, and one of the things that he said really stuck with me. Uh, he told me one time, one of the saddest things in life is when you meet somebody and they're the same person that they were 20 years ago, right? Well, you know, they were an angry person then, they're an angry person now. Uh, they've been holding a grudge for 30 years. They've been holding a grudge. Uh, they didn't have any desire to read the Word then, and they still don't have any desire to read the Word now. Uh, do any of you know someone like that? Let me ask you a more penetrating question. Are you like that? Ooh. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at what kind of fruit the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer, and what is characteristic of that kind of life. As Fritz mentioned, our primary text is going to come from Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. should be up here on the screen, but I'm going to read that for us. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for the people who took the step of baptism this morning. Continue to go before them. Uh, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help us to support them as a church. And Father, I pray as we dig into your word this morning that, uh, that these things that we learn would impact our, our hearts and our lives. Uh, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, we have an old, big, green, old pickup truck. 
And she's got 287,000 miles on her. Uh, she's carried us to a lot of places, Duluth, uh, Nebraska, uh, North Carolina, Hershey, Pennsylvania, Florida, Tennessee, lots of places in between. Uh, we've had a lot of good times in that truck. And we, you know, we've used the bed of it as a fort uh, during snowball fights. Uh, we've sat in the bed and eaten ice cream at the Whippy Dip. Uh, but you know, our truck does have a problem. The radio cuts out. You'd just be driving down the road, the radio will cut out. But there is a way to turn it back on. You have to hit a pothole. And if you hit a pothole, if you hit a pothole hard enough, the radio will turn back on. But if you hit a pothole too hard, the tailgate falls off. Right? True story. We're driving down Main Street of Finley, and we went over the railroad tracks, and we heard this, and we looked around, and we're dragging the tailgate right down Main Street of Finley. There were sparks flying. Other drivers were looking at us wide-eyed, like, what's going on? But you know what? The radio came back on. You know, I eventually had to get that tailgate fixed. I kept trying to fix it by driving, trying to avoid the potholes. But you know what? Avoiding potholes didn't fix the problem because the brokenness of the tailgate, it wasn't a driving problem. It was a mechanical problem. And since I kept trying to fix the problem of the tailgate by my best efforts of driving, no matter how well I drove, the problem didn't get fixed. It was still broken. I needed to fix a mechanical solution with a mechanical, a mechanical problem with a mechanical solution. And just like the radio, I needed to fix an electrical solution with an electri- electrical problem with an electrical solution. Sometimes in life, we identify a problem, but then we come up with the wrong solution. Right? And the same thing is true in our lives. We look around and we see things aren't right in the world. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just out in the world where things aren't right. We can look inside and recognize that inside of us, things aren't right either, right? We're unloving, we're angry, we're anxious, we're impatient, we're unkind. Sometimes we're mean, we're unfaithful. We can be harsh, and we're self-centered, and we do whatever makes us feel good. We've identified that there's a problem in our lives, but then what happens is we try to address that problem with the wrong solution. Let me tell you what that looks like. Uh, One way we can try and address these problems with wrong solutions is we just try to avoid it. We try to avoid the problem and drown it out. How do we do that? Right? We occupy ourselves with all manner of entertainment, right? television, movies, sex, drugs, alcohol. So our solution to the problem is just push it away and try to feel better. It's kind of like my truck. Right? I can turn the radio up really loud so I don't hear the tailgate dragging down the road, but it's still dragging. Right? Even though I don't hear it, it's still dragging. Right? I just avoid it. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't fix anything. It's still broken, just like our lives. Another, another solution people come up with is to try harder. I know there's something wrong with my life, so if I just try harder, it'll get better. And keep striving and striving. Do any of these things sound familiar? You might say, look, i got to be more loving. I swear the next time that happens, I'll be more patient. If I just avoid watching the news, I won't be so anxious. I just got to try harder. We come up with all manner of solutions in a bid to achieve those things we want in our life, and we just keep trying harder and harder and harder. And how many of us know we just keep failing and failing and failing? One specific way that people might try harder is religion, right? You go to church. You get involved in doing good things. Somebody might have even told you a long time ago that if you pray a prayer, things will get better. And so you prayed that prayer, and you know what? Things seem better. They seem right because there doesn't seem to be a struggle on the outside 
in your life anymore. You're involved in good things, right? You're going to church, you're tithing, and, and most weeks you agree with, Pastor, what, with, with what Pastor Fritz says, right? You don't sleep around, you don't get drunk, and you don't do drugs. There's not really any overt struggle with sin in your life. But what about the respectable sins? Jealousy, anger, envy, strife, and unforgiveness. Those things are still there inside of you. And religion's not the answer either. The tragedy is that we keep coming up with wrong solutions to our problems. So what can we do? What is the right solution to our problem? Well, the Bible tells us there is a better way. What is that better way? To walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means a day-by-day continual yielding to and reliance upon the Holy Spirit to empower your life. Can you see how that way is vastly different from those other wrong solutions that, that really aren't solutions at all? Let's look at verse 16 again, Galatians 5, 16. Paul was talking to people who were dealing with these very issues. If you look at right before verse 16, at verses 13 through 15, you can see that the Galatians were being unloving and selfish and angry. They were biting and devouring one another. So Paul gives them the solution to these problems. This is what he says in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is the key. What we've done through our efforts is reversed, verse 16. This is what we, this is what we do by our own efforts. If I don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature, then that means I'm walking by the Spirit. No, that's religion. That's trying harder to somehow get the life that God has for you. That's not what verse 16 says. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Be careful that you don't reverse that verse in your life. All the wrong solutions I mentioned are both behavior-based, and they start with me, right? I want to try and drown out, drown out my problems by feeling good. I commit to doing better. I'll get involved in religious activities. The problem with these approaches is that they're reliant on our efforts, and they only deal with our behavior. But our sin problem goes way deeper than our flesh. Sin is not primarily a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. Changing our habits, avoiding sinful situations, trying harder, doing religious things, none of these will fix our sin problem. None of those will solve it because the problem lies way deeper than our behavior. It's rooted deep in our hearts. The Bible tells us in our hearts we've all rebelled against God. We've chosen our own leadership for our lives instead of submitting to God's leadership. And that act of rebellion has irreparably damaged our hearts and separated us from God. All of our desires and affections are now aimed at pleasing ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us there is nothing we can do to fix the problem. We can't earn our way back to God by trying harder. But here's the good news. God in his mercy and grace did what we couldn't do. He sent Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, and to die the death that we deserve to die. His perfect life and death on the cross satisfied God's wrath against sin. Through Jesus, God made a way for us to be able to return to him, a way to stop striving to earn his favor. He paid our debt for us. He gave us the solution to our problem. How do we receive that payment for our sin? What's the solution? Faith. You receive it by faith. You stop trying to drown out the sin in your life, you stop trusting in your behavior to fix the problem of rebellion and sin, and you trust in Jesus by faith. Once you do that, God sends his heart and glorify him. He gives you a new heart and changes your desires and affections. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in you. 
The, the Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, we are actually the temple of God. His presence lives inside of us to empower us and direct us. That's what we looked at last week. We looked at how Jesus said that he was going to send another helper, the Spirit of truth, to be with those who believed in him forever. We looked at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in the life of a believer. We looked at how once a person trusts in Jesus by faith, he sends the Holy Spirit to forever dwell in that person. Let's recap a few verses from last week. First, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. This is what it says. In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And then Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not by trying harder, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then finally, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Don't miss this. What the Bible clearly tells us is that if you have trusted Christ to be the forgiver and leader of your life, you belong to Christ. You're no longer the person you were before. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been made new. You have been declared righteous, and you have the hope of eternal life. Amen? Amen. But, but, conversely, If you don't have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you, then you don't belong to him. You're still the person you were before. You're dead in your sins. You haven't been made new. You haven't been declared righteous, and you don't have the hope of eternal life. All of your trying harder, all of the religious things you get involved in, they won't change that. One is based on trusting in God. The other is based on trusting in your own efforts. That's a pretty stark contrast. There's no gray area in there. You either have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, or you don't. You're either trying to solve your problems with wrong behavioral-based solutions that start with yourself, or you're trusting in the solution that God has provided for you in Jesus. The Bible says that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not by trying harder, not by doing religious things. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Can you see? What did we offer to that? What did we offer to this uh, for God to save us? Faith is a gift from God. Here's what God does for you. He draws you to himself. He convicts you of your sin. He sent his son Jesus to pay for that sin. He gives you the gift of faith to believe and trust in in Jesus' payment for that sin. And then when you do, he grants you eternal life and and sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to empower you 
and guide you and teach you and make you more like Christ. He takes your old heart that was irreparably damaged by sin and he puts a new heart within you and makes you into a new creature. In John chapter 3, this is what the Bible calls being born again. Did you hear everything God has done for you? He sent his son to die for you. He draws you to himself. He convicts you of your sin. He gives you the gift of faith to trust in Jesus. He gives you eternal life. He seals you with his Holy Spirit and he makes you into a new creation. How much of that came from you? (laughs) None of it. Look at John 15, 16. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. God doesn't just do these things for us in, in regards to our salvation. He also enables us to bear fruit. Again, I'll ask you, how much of this came from your own effort? How much of it came from trying harder? How much of it came from doing religious things? How much of it came from a natural source? The answer, none of it. None of it came from you, and all of it is supernatural. Let me say that again. All that God has done for you is supernatural because it comes from him. You didn't deserve any of it. You couldn't earn any of it, and you offered nothing to gain or merit it. God supernaturally has done everything for you. And if you have believed and trusted in him, he has sent his Holy Spirit to seal, with, to seal you and dwell in you forever so that you can bear fruit. The Christian life, your life, if you believed and trusted in Christ, is meant to be a supernatural life, infused and driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. It's meant to be a spirit-led, spirit-directed life that produces fruit. That's the right solution to our problem. So you might be thinking, that sounds great. How do I get more of the Holy Spirit so I can use him to control these desires of my flesh? (laughs) First of all, you can't get more of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. You can't get half a person, right? I need more of you. Wait, you either have all of the Holy Spirit or you have none of him. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit. Second, you don't use the Holy Spirit like he's some kind of force. As Fritz said last week, The Holy Spirit's job as a helper is not to help you achieve your goals. You don't control him. He controls you. How can I know that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me and I'm not trying to control him, but that he's controlling me? How can I know that? How can I know that I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and that I'm not trying to control him, but he's controlling me? Well, Jesus gives us some insight into this in John chapter 3. He's talking with a man named Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders of that day. And he was telling him that if a person wants to enter the kingdom of God, he must be born again. And Nicodemus is a little bit confused because he's thinking he must be physically born again. Uh, And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He tells him what he's talking about is that to enter the kingdom of heaven, a person must be made new by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. A person must be born of the Holy Spirit, indwelt and sealed and declared righteous and made new. All the things that we just talked about. And then Jesus makes this, this statement in, in John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What Jesus was telling Nicodemus was this. You can't control the wind or even understand where it comes from, but you can see its effects. And Jesus likens this to the Holy Spirit. You can't control the Holy Spirit, and you might not be able to understand everything about him, But if he is present and controlling your life, you can see his effects. His evidence in your life will be unmistakable. 
The resulting change in your life might result in some changes in behavior. Hopefully it will. But the real change will be in your heart. The things that you desire. Where the Spirit is working, you will be able to see the fruit. So if you want to understand if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, take an honest look at the fruit that characterizes your life. It's a very telling indicator of your spiritual condition. Let me ask you a question. When you look back at the trajectory of your life, can you point back to a time in your life when you changed your habits because you were trying harder? Or can you point back in your life to the change that happened in your heart that was wrought in you by the Holy Spirit? Do you see the difference? One you point back to and said, yeah, I changed all my habits. I started going to church. I started doing these things. The other one says, no, I can point back to a time in my life when the Holy Spirit did something in my heart and the desires and the things that I was living for before, I'm not living for those anymore. They're vastly different. A life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit will bear fruit. That's one marker, a litmus test, if you will, of a person that has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Another mark of a life controlled by the Holy Spirit is that there is a struggle. Look on at the next verse, Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Well, you might say, wait a second, teacher. I thought you said my heart was made new when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my forgiver and Lord. You said I was a new creation. That's true. That's what the Bible says. But what's also true and what, what the Bible also says is that your old sinful nature what the Bible sometimes calls the flesh, that's still around. The power it once had over you is broken, but it's still there trying to cause you to go back to your old ways of trying harder and earning God's favor by doing religious things. Let's look very briefly at Romans chapter 7. Paul, one of the greatest believers who was so full of the Holy Spirit, he still struggled with this issue. Look at Romans 7, verses 24 and 25. Paul is talking about the struggle between the old nature and the new nature, and this is what he says. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body, of this, the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. I'm yielding my life to the Holy Spirit. But on the, on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And Romans 6, verse 11 through 14 says this, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Listen, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are now forever free from the penalty of sin. That penalty was paid for by Jesus. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. The power of sin has been defeated. You no longer have to serve sin as your master. Its grip on you has been broken. You're free. What that freedom gives you, though, is not the right to do anything you want, but the freedom to do and serve God as you should. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, even though you are free, sin is still around. Your old sinful nature is still there with you, and there's still sin in the world. And Satan is still prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But now, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, controlling you. And verse 17 tells you that there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh wants to pull you back into your old way of living, into doing whatever you want, 
Now I, now I pray to prayer so I can do whatever I want. Or wants to pull you back into trying harder. Or wants to, wants to deceive you and think that being religious is the way. The spirit inside of you wants to glorify Christ in you and produce fruit. So let me ask you a question. Before you trusted in Jesus, did you struggle with sin? You might have felt bad when you did something wrong, but did it break your heart that you had sinned against God in that moment? This struggle is another marker, another litmus test as whether or not you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Last week, we looked at John 16, 8, that tells us the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. If you're living your life and there's no struggle in you over sin, then the Holy Spirit is not controlling your life. If you're living your life and there is no struggle in you over sin, the Holy Spirit is not controlling your life. I heard a story on the radio uh, of an old country church, and there was this guy that was well-known around the community in this, uh, that, that went to this church. He was, he was a well-known chicken thief. And so he, he, went to, he went to church one Sunday, and the pastor preached a particularly convicting sermon. And so afterwards, the man came up to the pastor and said, Oh, pastor, that was, a, that was a convicting sermon. I need to confess some sin to you. I, I want to confess those three chickens that I stole. And the pastor said, well, I heard it was only two chickens. And the guy said, well, yeah, I, I want to confess the two that I stole last night and the other one I'm going to steal tonight, right? That's not the kind of conviction that the Holy Spirit brings in a person's life that, that actually has the Holy Spirit living in you, right? It, that, that's you, right? Feeling sorry for your sin uh, because you got caught or even because you didn't get caught, that's not the conviction that we're talking about. Now, if we're not careful, we can, get, we can get tripped up here. Because of our old sinful nature that's still present in ourselves, we might say, okay, if the fruit of the Spirit in my life is an indicator of my spiritual condition, and if a struggle with sin is an indicator of my spiritual condition, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to struggle to produce the fruit of the Spirit in me. I'm going to struggle until I get that fruit of the Spirit in my life. You see what you've done? You've identified a problem, but you've come up with the wrong solution. You want to produce fruit in your life instead of yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to produce it in you. If struggle isn't the way that fruit gets produced in my life, then what is? How do I get this fruit of the Spirit in my life? By abiding. By abiding. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus means remaining in him or staying connected to him as the source. Just like a branch that's cut off the vine can't produce any fruit, you can't either unless you're connected to Christ. A person that's disconnected from Christ will also have some markers that are evident in their life. A person who's connected to Christ will bear fruit and have a struggle over sin. A person who is disconnected from Christ, they'll have some markers that are evident in their life as well. What are those markers? Well, Paul tells us. Uh, look on at verses 19 and 21 of Galatians 5. Here, here we see a list of the deeds of the flesh. This is what he says. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look, if you look closely at this list, you'll notice that Paul 
kind of divides these up into groups. He first lists three sexual sins, and then he lists two religious sins, then he lists eight relational sins, and then two sins related to gratifying your flesh. And we looked at some of these earlier when we were talking about wrong solutions, so I'm not going to dwell on them uh, now. But I want to point something out. Maybe you've been holding on to unforgiveness in your life for 30 years, and you look at this list and say, look, I don't see unforgiveness on this list, so I'm good to go. Right? It's not on the list. But what does verse 21 say? Things like these. This isn't a complete list of the deeds of the flesh, but it is representative of the deeds that characterize people who are living in the flesh according to their sinful nature. What else does verse 21 say? That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, listen to this. You got to hear this. If these things characterize your life, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God, which by consequence means that you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Because if you did, you would inherit the kingdom of God. So I hope you see the seriousness of sin. I hope you see the danger and the casualness of allowing sin to reign in your life. I hope you see the seriousness of trying to come up with wrong solutions to our problems rather than relying on the Holy Spirit through the word of God to teach us and transform our lives to become more like him. Paul goes on to show us the fruit of that walking by the Spirit and abiding in Jesus produces. Look on at verses 22 and 23. But, here's the good news. We got through all the bad news. Let's get to the good news. Here's the good news. But, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. As we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit will produce this fruit in our lives. Listen, as we look at this fruit, the tendency, as I pointed out earlier, is to say this, I'm doing okay at being kind, but I need more patience. So I'm going to try harder on this patience thing. But we've got to continually push back on that and remember that we're not supposed to be seeking the fruit. We're supposed to be abiding in Christ. Don't seek the fruit to be evident in your life. Seek to stay close to Christ and let him, let the Holy Spirit produce the fruit in your life. Let's look at some of these a little more closely. Do you believe that you can actually have the love of God, the love of God produced in you, that the Holy Spirit can actually help you love people the way that God loves them, not for self-serving purposes or only when you feel like it? Think about the way God loves people. Right? In 1 Corinthians 13, there's a great description of what love is. And you know what? It actually comes sandwiched between two chapters that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's also joy. As we walk in the Spirit, He also produces joy in our lives, joy that's not based on our circumstances, rather joy that comes even in the midst of trials. In Acts chapter 5, there were some early followers of Jesus who were arrested for teaching people about Jesus. They were put in prison, they were interrogated, and they were beaten and what does it say happened after that? Verses 41 and 42 of Acts chapter 5 says, they went on their way rejoicing because they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. And every day after that, they kept right on teaching and preaching the name of Jesus. After they had been arrested and interrogated and beaten, they rejoiced. That's not an earthly joy. That's a supernatural joy that's produced in us by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Jesus who was filled and empowered by the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, 
endured the cross. Joy amidst suffering and trials is possible in your life if you're walking by the Spirit. Peace. Who wouldn't like to have the peace of God? Not merely the absence of conflict in your life because it's not going to come. Not a peace that comes and goes. The peace that comes from knowing that now through the cross of Christ, you have peace with God. You can have that peace in your life. How about patience? Difficult coworkers, family members, little kids, traffic. Anybody's blood pressure rising yet? But how about if you had the patience of God being produced in you? Think about how patient God is. I heard a speaker one time say this. God has every right to kill you every time you sin. God has every right to kill you every time you sin. He would be justified in doing that. But he doesn't. He's patient. He desires all to come to a knowledge of the repentance in him. He doesn't desire anyone to perish. Do you, do you realize you can have that kind of patience in you with other people if you allow the Holy Spirit to produce that in you? Kindness. We already looked at a verse related to this one at the beginning of our message, Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. God's kindness wasn't dependent on the, on the other person, on you, whether or not you deserve kindness, because you didn't. Do you know that you can have that same kindness to love and serve and be merciful to other people? as you walk by the Spirit? Do you believe that? It's not possible in your own strength. It has to be supernaturally wrought in you by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk about each one of these fruits for the sake of time, but I did want to look at the last one on the list, self-control. In our flesh, we are out of control. right? We want to do whatever we want to do to please ourselves. We want to try harder. We want to do religious things. We are out of control. But the Spirit produces in us a self-control that yields to Him and allows him to make us more and more and more like Christ. If you want to see a full picture of what these fruits look like in the life of someone who is walking in the Spirit, look at Jesus. Here's a challenge. Read through the Gospels, and every time you see a fruit of the Spirit uh, identified in Jesus' life, underline it. Right? Mark it in your Bible. Every time you see a fruit of the Spirit in Jesus' life, mark it in the Bible. You're going to be doing a lot of marking. You want to see a life that's fully empowered by the Holy Spirit? Look at Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand. That same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to produce that fruit is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. He can produce the same kind of fruit in you that he did in Jesus. Do you believe that he will produce that in you? The same love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that Jesus had? He will as you continually walk by his spirit. Well, you might say, teacher, all that sounds great. I'm on board, right? How do I do it? How, how do I, I, you know, I, I believe that I've, uh, I've trusted Jesus as my forgiver uh, and leader in my life. I want to know, how, how do I walk by the spirit? What are some practical steps that I can take to walk by the spirit? I'm going to give you six, uh, very briefly. The first one, abide, right? We already talked about that, abide. You want to walk by the Spirit? Abide in Jesus. Stay close to Him. Stay connected to Him. You might ask me another question. Teacher, how do I do that? Abiding sounds great. How do I abide? Number two, read and memorize the Word. Read and memorize the Word. The Word is crucial to walking with the Spirit so that He can produce fruit in you. I can't emphasize this enough. The Holy Spirit uses 
the word of God to make us more like Christ. One of the verses we looked at last week, if you remember, was John chapter 14, verses 26. And this is what Jesus said. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, how does he bring to our remembrance everything that Jesus said? How could he do that today? Where do we have that written down for us? In the Bible, right? We can find it in the Bible. I want to point out something very quickly to you here. If you look at Ephesians 5.18, Ephesians 5.18, this is what it says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea is that if you're filled up with wine, it's controlling you. The wine is controlling you. And Paul's saying, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. If you look on after that passage in Ephesians 5, if you, if you look in your Bible, Paul goes on, he says, uh, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he goes on and he tells uh, wives and husbands, uh, this is what it looks like if your life is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, go over to Colossians 3, Colossians 3.16. This is what Paul says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom as you teach and admonish one another. And if you look on beyond Colossians 3.16, if you look on, what does he talk about? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he goes on and he addresses wives and husbands and what, what the Holy Spirit does in those relationships. So you have a few, Paul wrote both of these books. They're, these are parallel passages. And they're, they're almost the same. The only thing that's different, Ephesians 5.18, right? Be controlled, be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God richly dwell within you. Everything else is the same. He so closely relates being filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to control you and letting the Word of God dwell within you. They're so closely related. If you want to walk by the Spirit, let the Word of God dwell within you. Number three, the third way to uh, walk by the Spirit, listen to Him. Listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. Don't quench His voice. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, it's very simple, do not quench the Spirit. It's not a hard verse. Do not quench the spirit. There are two ways that you can quench the spirit's fire in your life. Right? If you think about a fire, there are two ways you can quench a fire. One, you can pour water on it. That's sin. Right? If you pour water on the Holy Spirit, if he tells you to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. You're pouring water on the fire and you're putting out uh, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. Another way to quench a fire is what? Take away the fuel. Don't give it any more fuel. And then the fire will go out. So you can either sin or you can take away the word of God from your life. If you do either one of those, you're going to quench the Spirit's voice in your life. So listen to the Holy Spirit. Number four, confess. If you sin, and you will, confess. Confess when you sin. Number five, pray. Ask God to empower you to walk by his Holy Spirit as you begin the day. Don't live like an atheist. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, don't live like an atheist. Ask God to help you uh, not not produce the, spirit in, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in you, but to stay close to Him throughout the day. And He will produce it in you. And then last, spend time with other growing disciples. Those people can encourage you. They can bear their burdens with you. And then you can learn and walk by the Holy Spirit together. As we close, I'm going to ask you a question. What kind of fruit characterizes your life? Look, the, the heart is deceptive, so don't gloss over this and don't whitewash it. Right? Be honest with yourself. What kind of fruit characterizes your life? The deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Twice in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that our bodies are temples of God 
and that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Since that's true, shouldn't our lives reflect that? Shouldn't there be an unmistakable difference between us and the world? Here's one last question I want to ask yourself uh, as we dwell and dwell. I want to ask you to dwell on this throughout the week. If every person at Lighthouse and Bluffton community walked by the Spirit like me, what kind of church would we be? If everybody's life, if everybody walked by the Spirit like me, yourself, what kind of church would we be? Based on what we learned this week, if we're continually walking by the Spirit and letting Him produce His fruit in us, what kind of church could we be? Let's pray. Gracious Father, I do thank you for your word. We thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Uh, all of the things that come from you. We didn't, we didn't do anything. You've done everything to bring us back to yourself. Father, would we, each day, walk by your spirit? Would we allow your spirit to produce the fruit in you so that other people will be drawn to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.